Summer Smash podcast with Bernie Mac and the Beaver. Ladies and gentlemen, it's the Summer Smash podcast final edition. And uh, boy, we've got plenty to get through today. I'm your host, Bernie Mac, and I'm joined on the line by the man in the West, Rob Beaver. How are you traveling, Rob? Very, very well, Bernie. So much to get through. I'm not even going to try and have a really elongated introduction today. Let's just get into it. Yeah, well, last night's semi-final two was a cracking match. It came right down to the wire between the Adelaide Strikers and the Melbourne Renegades. The Adelaide Strikers, they managed to get the job done with the final ball of the match, winning by just one run. Uh, I think this is only the second ever BBL match that's come down to one run. It doesn't get much closer than that, does it, Rob? Oh, it's impossible, Bernie, unless you're going for a draw and you're going to super overs, which would have been a, another whole other ball game, and we would have loved that as well. But uh, one run victory in the end for the Strikers. I'm sure we'll get into this, but it astounds me, I guess, that the Strikers didn't. They only had two winners, two winners really with the bat, whereas mm. Melbourne didn't really have any sort of superstars, but they seemed to have four or five guys who were really able to um, keep rotating rotating the strike, keep things uh, going at about, you know, I think a run rate of, a, uh, sorry, a strike rate, I should say, around 150 for a lot of them. Um, the strikers, two big names really fired for the Renegades. It was a, a game that was played in so many ways identically, as we know the score was nearly the end, but the method in which the teams got there was almost polar opposite. Yeah, I mean, we, we spoke this week uh, about uh, the guys that were going to be missing for the Australian lineup, and then obviously common sense prevailed, put Travis Head back into this Adelaide Strikers team, and boy, did he have a huge impact. Obviously, his 85 not out with the bat was the cornerstone of that Adelaide innings, uh, and then he backed it up with the ball. He bowled superbly uh, in his four overs. He had one for 27 with an economy rate of 6.75. Well-deserved man of the match, and it just goes to show how big of a how big of an impact these superstars can make in the BBL. It's a very good point you make, and I'm sure we'll get on to the final and the names that Cricket Australia have released uh, earlier this morning that will actually be eligible to play in that final. But to stay uh, with this game for now, it's uh, it, it was huge, Travis said. What can you say? It's the reason he was the man of the match. And as I said, you take away Travis' head, and they didn't really have any other winners on the day. Weatherall, I know, made 57 or 43, but that's not going to win you a game on its own. It was that, uh, I guess, that sort of that partnership between Head and Weatherall that really steered the strikers into victory. And as we come over the tops of the Renegades here, a lot of their guys got starts. We saw Marcus Harris on 45. I guess that's a little bit more than a start, but Ludeman, 28. Bravo, 26. Pollard, 29. Cooper finished on 36. The final two there, not out. So maybe if they had a few more overs, they might have got somewhere. But uh, just inability, I guess, to really, really ram home a, a massive score and just um, give the strikers a lot to think about here. It always seemed like whenever um, a Renegades batsman kind of got really comfortable at the crease, that it wasn't too much longer before the strikers were really able to find a wicket and a way to break through. Uh, whereas with Weatherold and Travis Head, the Renegades must have been so frustrated trying to get them, especially considering the success they had, Ingram, Wells and Lehman only combining for eight runs after that. Yeah, I mean, it looked like a pretty good batting wicket. Obviously, the strikers won the toss and they put themselves into bat, which I think uh, that was good good captaincy there. Um, you know, the, the top of their order did exactly what the top of their order is supposed to do. They started to wrangle that game away from the Renegades with some big hitting. And uh, yeah, Travis had... There wasn't any time in his innings where he he looked like he was in danger. Uh, really, they they just they they seem to 
take the game away from the Renegades. And it wasn't till those uh, till till the back end of the, the Renegades bowling innings that they started to get some breakthroughs and put the brakes on that striker's innings. Um, in 178, uh, as we've seen in the first semi-finals, the Hurricanes put 210 on the board. Uh, 178, we'd probably have to say, yeah, that's a winning score, but you're still going to have to bat and bowl pretty well. And uh, luckily for the uh, luckily for the the strikers, uh, their bowlers were able to come out and get the job done. A few anxious moments in uh, a few anxious moments in the field, though. Uh, poor old Jake Lehman, he dropped a pair of sitters. At, uh, in the dying overs, and uh, boy, if uh, if the strikers had gone on to lose this game, I would not want to be Jake Lehman today. No, he certainly wouldn't. I think it's an interesting point that you make, though, because for all we know, if he had have actually taken those catches, somebody else, whether it was Wildermuth uh, or, or Webster, might have actually come in and, and maybe connected with some of these deliveries that uh, I think it was Kieran Pollard who, who faced the uh, the last delivery was it Bernie, the one that went straight right, through. Yeah. If, if they had it connected on that, and who knows, maybe if it isn't Kieran Pollard, maybe somebody does it. Maybe they make a single. Maybe we go to a super over. So many what ifs. Um, you don't want to be him, but uh, I guess this is just one of those situations where all is forgiven. You make it onto the final, but um, I'd just be having a very quiet word to young Jacob. Be saying, <laughs> mate, we're, we're in the final. We're not dropping you, but. You know, you don't even need to say the words. You just need to look at him intently, and he knows exactly what you're saying, and he knows he, he needs to take those opportunities when they present themselves. And, uh, I mean, uh, we, we, we spoke about Travis Head coming back into the team. Uh, the Renegades welcomed back Cameron White, yeah, obviously one of the leading run scorers uh, in BBL 07 and uh, returning from Australian duties. In the absence of uh, Aaron Finch, uh, Cameron White, he was actually captaining the side. I thought he did pretty well with his bowlers. Interesting that Kieran Pollard actually only got the one over. Uh, but unfortunately for Cameron White, when he came out to open the Renegades innings, I mean, typically he'd been coming in at about the number three drop, uh, but he stepped in there at the, at the at the top of the order for Aaron Finch. Uh, he managed just two runs off four balls. Uh, terrible shot that he got out on. He really he really played at a ball he didn't want to play at, and the top hand came off the bat. Uh, you could see the uh, you could see it was it was all just unfolding for Cameron White pretty quickly. And I mean, that's just a terrible feeling for a captain. Uh, and particularly as an opening batsman there, to have only faced four balls, so only put two runs on the board, and then to have to watch the rest of your team uh, make that run chase. It, it must have been really disappointing, and I wanted to get your thoughts. Is this? We know he's a veteran, so theoretically this shouldn't affect him maybe as much as it would some others, but he, he, he looked like he really wanted to get a move on with things at a time when he really didn't need to. I mean, 178, don't get me wrong, is, is a really defendable total and it's on the sort of upper end of normal. But it wasn't, that you know, 210 like the Scorchers were trying to chase down against the Hurricanes. He probably had a little bit more time to settle into this match and uh, maybe that was just him putting pressure on himself, being the captain and really wanting to set that example, but definitely not the result that he would have been after. And maybe it's just a little bit of inexperience uh, creeping in because uh, he had to come in at first drop. I mean, typically he would come in at, say, yeah, like we said, number three, and that might be towards the end of the power play or, or after the power play's finished. Maybe just in the back of the back of his mind, he thought, all right, well, we got all these guys up in the circle. It's got to be my job to go over the top, and uh, that forced him into playing a shot he really didn't want to be part of. 
Yeah, it's a very good point. I, I didn't really consider the fact that perhaps the power play uh, and the way that the fields get set during those times is something that can actually throw a batsman. It, it does make sense. I guess you you see these opportunities, and I guess that's what the power play is there for, isn't it? It's to tempt these players into you know just trying to pull shot everything um, over the square leg umpire and try and hit some boundaries. So maybe it was a, a combination of a couple of different things, but he'd be really disappointed with his individual performance. But on the other hand, you've got guys uh, for the next five batsmen. I think all of them really stood up again. As I've said, not many of them really able to fully go on with it, but uh, you must be incredibly proud of what your, your two through sort of five or six batsmen were able to produce in the absence of a great start from the captain. And one of the really fascinating things I like that the strikers did, and they're, well, the, they're one of the few teams that do this, is use spin bowlers in the power play. I think Travis Head actually, he started the inning uh, by bowling by bowling spin. I think it, it, when the field is up and the, the batsmen obviously want to play hard and play over the top, uh, just not having that pace on the ball and uh, while the batsman's trying to get their eye in, I really think that's, uh, that's a great tool that some of the successful BBL teams have used. Uh, and as we saw, the Scorchers, they didn't have one spinner in their lineup uh, for their semi-final loss to the Hurricanes. Uh, I, I, it's a great way to see the, the great way to see the different captains managing their uh, managing their strategies. And it's in direct contrast to what the Perth Scorchers did um, just a couple of nights ago, Bernie. We even pointed out on the last episode that there was no spin. There was no different look. There was no, um, I guess, sort of making the batsman think about what, what's going to happen. It was just, there's going to be quicks. There's going to be balls firing at me. Once you get used to that pace, once you get your eye in, there really wasn't any way for, for the Scorchers to mix things up. Whereas this is something, as you said, that the strikers have been great at here. They they throw Travis Head in there. Obviously, they've got Rashid Khan, who's been a beast all season as well. So, so they, they were able to mix things up really effectively. And taking a look at um, the the worm, Bernie, if, for those who, who sort of need the graphical proof of, of what was happening, uh, come the, the 11th over, the Renegades were actually on top here, according to the worm. They'd be on top for high majority of the game, about 13 over, right through until the 19th over. They were, again, on top in terms of the run rate. And there was this, these little moments, about two overs, at about over 12 through to 14, and then right at the end, where the striker is just throwing a different look or doing things a little bit differently, maybe um, put some of the pressure back onto the batsman to actually make some of these shots. Uh, and that's essentially what won them a game in the end. I think the wheels really started to fall off the Renegades innings when Dwayne Bravo got out. Uh, Bravo, obviously, uh, he's more of a big hitter than a, a, a nice striker of the ball. Uh, he, he was chewing up a lot of deliveries. So often, you know, there was someone would bowl like three balls to him, three dots, and then he'd follow it up with his follow up with a six. So uh, his stats don't look that bad on paper, 26 off 17. But at the same time, there were plenty of missed opportunities while Dwayne Bravo was batting. And that was at a time where, like, as you mentioned then, they were actually in front of that game. And that was where they needed to get in there and um, put in that, put the, put the killer blow in. Uh, I thought Kieran Pollard, he came out, I thought he batted well, he was finding the boundary, but I thought he was sluggish in some of his running. There were there was a few times where he hit the ball and uh, it might have been the end of the over and he was tempted to retain strike or he didn't look for a double when they could have dashed through. I, I, I felt Tommy Cooper was really pushing him, uh, but yeah, it, it, when, when it comes down to say, I think it was 20, 22 off the last two overs and then 13 off the last over, I mean, you'd, you'd expect most sides to be able to get that, um, but obviously, pressure uh, you, uh, that uh, that that can be a game changer in a semi-final 
It was really interesting. Glad you brought up the, the point about Dwayne Bravo's wicket, wicket sorry. The fall of the wicket, four for 139. That was just over 15 overs had been delivered, 15.2. So essentially, you're looking at that point, you need 38 runs in just under five overs. You're looking at the tiniest smidge under eight and over uh, at a point where the partnership that Tom Cooper and Dwayne Bravo had for the previous however many it was, I think it was about probably four or five overs uh, at that point, maybe even a bit more, had been going at about eight and a half and over. So you're on track. Then Tommy Cooper, who hit 24 off 20 with his partnership with Bravo, who was doing an excellent job himself at 26 off 17 for that partnership. Tommy Cooper then gets paired up with Kieran Pollard. He then goes on in the last 4.4 overs to face seven deliveries. All he was trying to do is rotate the strike and get Pollard on strike. And I get that because... Um, obviously Pollard made 29 off 21 but as you said you've got Cooper who's got his eye in for 20 deliveries already you're already performing at a run rate which would see you win if you were Pollard why wouldn't you just say Tommy Cooper stay on strike get me there but for for whatever reason that 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 dynamic just seemed to kind of change that game up and the run rate not necessarily slowed down but well obviously it did I mean they needed 22 of the last couple overs so it was as you said Kieran Pollard looked like he really wanted to take control and Tom Cooper looked like he was happy for that to be the case. But I wonder if in hindsight, Tommy Cooper would say, no, I've had my eye in here for three overs. Let me do some of this lifting. You just get ready to run. Yeah, and, and, and that's the thing. With, with Bravo and Pollard, they're the type of guys that every time they hit the ball, they're looking for the boundary. And uh, yeah, it could have been that opportunity, you know, just work the twos because there was no... They didn't need that type of urgency. They didn't need you know, three or four runs of ball. As you mentioned, it was just eight and a half and over. And then in that final over, uh, just needing 13 off it, the first ball was a dot ball. And uh, then they managed to um, uh, limit... The, well, Kip Pollard backed that up with a four, but then they were managed to restrict the run rate to get it down to just three runs off the uh, uh, three runs off the final ball. And uh, they, they ended up winning by a run. Yeah, it's a... Look, what, what more can we really say about this game? It was the type of game that you love to watch. It, as I said at times, it looked like the Renegades were well on top there through the middle part of their innings, and, and the strikers just found a way to, to win. And to be perfectly honest, they probably shouldn't have. Uh, there's so many chances that the Renegades had. And as you said, Jake Lehman with those drop catches, just, again, a couple of chances that they just weren't able uh, to take. Um, and who knows, in the end, the Renegades, as I said, probably should have won. Um, I think it's a dream scenario if you say you need X amount off the last ball. It's just a one-and-done situation. Don't have to worry about wickets. All the field gets put in place. It's just you get one shot. Mm. Um, I think nine times out of ten, you probably back the batsman to, to find a boundary in that particular instance. But, uh, yeah, just swing and a miss. It goes straight through, and the rest is history. And just other little fun fact I noticed last night, there was not a run-out uh, given in the entire game. Both the Renegades and the Strikers had plenty of chances of run-outs, but no one managed to hit the stumps. So uh, that was a bit of a bit of a red flag, a few opportunities missed there. Um, and obviously the, the Strikers are going to face the Hurricanes. George Bailey has been on fire in the field with a couple of very nice direct hits in the run-out department. So look, keep your eye on the, uh, keep your eye on the run-outs for tomorrow night. Well, that was in direct contrast to the, the first semi-final at the, at the Optus Stadium, wasn't it? The, the scorchers couldn't hear anything, and the Hurricanes, it seems like, just throw balls over their heads, and <laughs> they managed to make contact with the stumps. So uh, I wonder if, going forward, this is going to be these sort of half chances that decide matches, you know. Uh, I, I don't think anyone necessarily expects a, a fielder pelting the ball uh, at full pace towards the stumps to hit it, uh, mm. but... If you can, maybe if you try five times and you can pinch one or two, maybe that is the difference. Maybe you can break up some of these troublesome uh, partnerships, which is what neither team was really able to do last night. 
and there was just one really interesting moment and this is this is just my interpretation of it uh, after that final ball went through to the wicketkeeper and the batsman crossed uh, the wicketkeeper he threw the ball and I think he hit the stumps and then all the Adelaide strikers started to celebrate well, the one person who stood out was Travis Head he ran over to the umpire and I believe that he was saying to the umpire is it dead is it dead is it dead to make sure that there was no opportunity for the mm. Renegades to just sneak through and, and tie the game um, but that was really interesting to see you know sometimes you, you, you see these hilarious sports fails where teams celebrate a little bit too early uh, both uh, Tom Cooper and Pollard neither had been run out on that delivery um, so there was the, the I think Travis Head he, even in that intense moment he had his head in the game just to make sure to go to the umpire and go there's no chance of the Renegades even sneaking through here for another for another another run I'm glad you brought that up because I saw this um, all morning I was seeing this replay and I didn't really notice it at the time but he runs for the the keeper for the strikers and he I think he just sort of stumps and runs through the stumps with the ball in his hand but the batsman running to that end who I believe would have been Cooper at that point um, was actually already in so yep. he wasn't run out there so obviously if he gets run out then you go okay the play is dead when he batsman's gone but because he was already in and, and they've stumped the wickets that doesn't necessarily mean anything they theoretically could have kept running so i think what happened at at that point was obviously the renegades went no we're not gonna run back therefore the ball is dead but i'm really glad you brought that up because that was something where i've gone you know if if they just had gone yeah he didn't hit it celebrated and won Yep. They easily could have got back for another one, and it might have been a whole different story. Yeah, Pollard ran down the wicket, and he was punching his bat. like He was obviously very frustrated with himself. But I thought, you know, what if Pollard just ran down, touched his bat, turned around, and streaked back? <laughs> he yeah. might have run past those celebrating strikers, and we we're having a super over. <laughs> Absolutely. And I don't know if you, you saw this earlier in the uh, the, the year, uh, Bernie, but the, the WBBL actually had a, a situation very similar to that where they thought, um, the, the game was over and, and it wasn't and they actually ended up making that extra run and I, I'm pretty sure they tied it. I, I can't remember if it went to a super over or if uh, they, they went on to, to win with that extra run but it, it does happen and it's uh, it's interesting I guess that even these professional athletes maybe not necessarily don't know the rule but maybe get caught up in the excitement and uh, caught up in the moment of things and, and maybe you know maybe being a little bit smart and a little bit more measured is the way to go. Yeah, I think Travis Head might have a, have a word to the guys after that one. I, he, he was taking it very seriously. So, yeah, that was just I, – I, I, when I saw Travis's head reaction to that situation, I was like, what, what's, what's, what's he talking about? Why is he getting so animated with the umpire? And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what he's worried about. <laughs> they, they could have lost the game. All right, Rob, now before we get to the big news about tomorrow's BBL Grand Final between the Hobart Hurricanes and the Adelaide Strikers, uh, one of the interesting storylines that uh, we've been keeping tabs on this year is Ricky Ponting's best team of the BBL. Uh, He released his final team last night uh, in between innings. Uh, Always gets plenty of chatter going on the social media, and uh, you and I certainly love to go and break down this team. And look, got to say, Ricky's picked a pretty good team uh, what about if I just uh, I'll fly through these uh, and then we can have a quick chat at the end so up the top of the order we got short from the hurricanes Carey from the strikers Watson from the thunder Cooper from the renegades McDermott from the hurricanes Agar from the scorchers Bravo from the renegades Khan from the strikers Archer from the hurricanes Ty from the scorchers and Stanlake for the strikers pretty impressive team Rob what do you think uh, very Im- impressive team, and as you said, Darcy Short, Alex Carey, absolute locks. Uh, going to the bowlers, Stan Lake, Ty, Archer Khan, 
and Bravo and sort of Ashton Agar in there is a bit of an all-rounder as well. Very, very difficult to argue uh, with that lineup. Ben McDermott, I, I don't have too many, too many issues with. I, I kind of look at Shane Watson, and it's weird because he's actually made more runs than than Ben McDermott and Tom Cooper have. But I, I just look at Shane Watson, and maybe I have this this bias, and maybe. Um, you being a Thunder supporter, you obviously pay a bit more attention to him, but I, I just struggle. I, I see he's got 331 runs, and I go, that's all good and well, but I just don't feel like he has impact on games the way that his stats necessarily suggest. How do you sort of see what, what Shane Watson was able to do this year? I certainly see Shane Watson as he's the best batsman that the Sydney Thunder have hands down. And obviously when he comes to the crease, he brings a certain calmness and composure to him. And you know that he's got the power and the ability to put, to put the ball where he wants. He, uh, particularly in a young side, I think he's a very steadying and calming influence. Um, injecting him to be like a power player in, say, your best team or your all-star team, you know, there could be a question mark there, but I mean, there's no doubt he, he, he's a he's a great batsman, and um, you know, he's 331 speaks for itself. The only guy that I would probably put in front of him, and um, obviously I think that's backed up by his performance last night in the semi-final, was Travis Head. Uh, and I looked at Head and Watson's stats back to back, and uh, obviously Head he's a spin bowler, Watson is a pace bowler, so they've both got that sort of little extra edge to their game. Watson's average was in the BBL07 was around 37. And I believe Heads was up over 40. So, um, and and, they were, and and Head was only one run behind him. So look, Travis Head is making a case for for that third position batsman for me as well. Yeah, it's a good point you make. And uh, Watson's economy rate is a, a 9.51. He he's taken three wickets from seven innings uh, that he has bowled in. Come down to Travis Head. His economy rate is an 8.6, so nearly a run on over better than Watson. He's still taken the three wickets, but he's done that in just the five innings as opposed to the seven. So, uh, look, we're nitpicking, really. I mean, we're talking about the difference between one run from a couple of different innings, you know, and and one run on over uh, in terms of what they've produced. So we are nitpicking a little bit, but uh, Punter (laughs) has got it pretty much spot on, hasn't he? I mean, if you're looking at um, these players, you've got Short and Carey, who were in the the representative squad, Billy Stanlake, still hasn't been released. So um, obviously he's doing something right if those guys, this Cricket Australia, um, has picked them and, and, and even in some cases actually kept them on and not let them return to the Big Bash. The other little interesting one is obviously Ben McDermott's coming to the team. Uh, he's got 316 runs on the season. He's managed to beat out Cameron White on 304. Uh, I don't have too many problems with that decision, but obviously Ben McDermott being a Hurricane player, Ricky Ponting uh, being a former Hurricanes player, do you think maybe that just would have swayed him a little bit to get McDermott over the line in that one? Um, possibly. I, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't worry too much about that in, in terms of. Uh, you know, is there any sort of uh, little bias in there or, or anything <laughs> like that? Uh, I look at it, the strike rate for Ben McDermott's at 142.34. Cameron White, I think, is about 130 off the top of my head. I'll just quickly uh, get the stats up on Cameron White. Yeah, so Cameron White's a strike rate of 111. So if you're going at... 30% better. Um, I think that's a, a pretty good um, decision to have Ben McDermott in there over Cameron White on that occasion. And Rob, before we recorded this podcast today, we had some breaking news and it's 
excellent breaking news for both of the teams. Uh, in particular, at the moment, I, I, I saw on Twitter today the, the Hobart Hurricanes tweeted out that batsman Darcy Short uh, will be released from the Australian T20 International tomorrow, uh, and he'll be made available for the BBL 07 final. This is huge news uh, for the Tasmanian side. Certainly is. I'm really interested to see what this actually does to the Hurricanes though, and, and what I mean by that is you, you, you're walking into a team and don't get me wrong he's a walk-up starter I'm not debating that in any way shape or form but you are messing with a team that put up 210 runs against mm-hmm. arguably one of the best bowling attacks the league has seen uh, and did it pretty comfortably in the end and, and cruised to a, a pretty cruisy victory as well what do they then do because Matty Wade was sensational opening the batting and I remember you and I had this discussion um, Bernie, when um, I think it was Joffrey Archer came in instead of Matty Wade at the end of one of the games that the yeah. Hurricanes went on to lose, we said Matty Wade is capable of, of hitting these balls and, and really putting up some big totals when he needs to. And he was able to do that under the most pressure that we've, we've seen the Hurricanes under so far this season. So I kind of look at this and I go, what, what do you do with a guy like Darcy Short? Because the instant answer is, yeah, of course, you're just throwing back in at number one. When a guy like Matty Wade has been sensational and um, and went on to make 71 from the number three position, I guess George Bailey, everyone just sort of shuffles down a bit. You could still open with Payne. But again, are you going to have Payne in there as the keeper with short back? Are you going to move Matty Wade in? What, what, what are you going to do? I think Nathan Reading, he's going to be the odd man out in this one. So he's going to get dropped. And then you've still got your bowlers, Archer, Rogers, Rose, uh, and Meredith. Uh, Malenko, he also batted last innings. And obviously Christian, he's a batter bowler as well. So um, I think, uh, so just having a look, I don't think Reading, he did not bowl last. Uh, he didn't bowl in the semifinal. So um, I think he's going to be the odd man out. I'd love to see Wade still batting up the order. They've got to have him up the top. Uh, I think. He and Short are just going to make for an excellent combination to open that Hurricanes batting. What would you do then? So you'd have Wade and Short as your openers. Would you then bat Bailey, McDermott, or Christian at your three? Or Payne even? Uh, I'd probably go Bailey. I think Bailey's got a good head on his shoulders. If he, and, and as we saw in that first semifinals, he, he knows if he can't get going or if he's struggling to find the boundary, he, he's just going to keep swinging until he gets out. And then behind that, obviously, then you've got yeah, Tim Payne, Ben McDermott, Dan Christian. Uh, that's some pretty heavy hitting all the way up and down that lineup. So, you know, it might be a good bet there to get on the uh, on the Hurricanes for most sixes again. Oh, Bernie, you're just sucking up to our favourite team here <laughs> on the Summer Smash podcast. Um, yeah, look, Huge news, obviously, for for Darcy Short and the Hurricanes, but also worth noting that Travis Head will be allowed to play in the final as well after he returned, and Alex Carey will be back as well. So all of a sudden, you've got just two massive, massive inclusions for uh, the strikers as well. And before we, I guess, go into depth a little bit more on the strikers and what it means for them, this is a win for just cricket, generally speaking, isn't it? We sit here and we say we want the best players available for the finals. And Cricket Australia, okay, they haven't released Stanlake, uh, which, again, was interesting that they've released the batters but but not the bowlers. Um, but, but a win, ultimately, isn't it? You've now got a much higher, uh, I guess, talent pool in the final than we would have had otherwise. Yeah, I totally agree with you, Rob. I mean, obviously, Darcy Short, Alex Carey, the two biggest run scorers in BBL 07, they're going to be... Obviously, you want your superstars on the big stage. And, you know, it's probably like we didn't see in the tennis this year where, you know, we didn't have a Federer or V Nadal because uh, someone got knocked out in the early round. So, look, it's great to see the two superstars up the top. Just one little question that's sort of creeping in the back of my mind, and that's Travis Head. Now, obviously, he had 
He scored 80 plus runs uh, on Friday night. He's going to step up and play for Australia on Saturday night, and then he's going to step in and be expected to play a big role on Sunday night. That. And not to mention the fact that he's going to be traveling in between Adelaide and Sydney in between all of that, which I think is about a three and a half, four hour flight. Uh, so eight hours of flight time thrown in there. Do you get a Travis head at 100% after that busy schedule? Uh, I think if the adrenaline's pumping enough, you, you probably do. Um, it is interesting. And then this is what I I said is ultimately if uh, the, the Aussies go out and... Um, and, and play in New Zealand, and as we record this, that match hasn't quite gotten underway. But if if they go out and you know things go wrong, then they'll probably get criticised heavily. Cricket Australia, that is. But if Travis Head goes out and you know plays three games in um, in three days potentially, then ends up playing magnificently in all of them. I think that's what we'll see going forward. So it's a real chance for for Travis Head and Cricket Australia to I guess sort of establish some sort of precedent going forward. Um, to my my con- not my concern my thought is a little bit like what we just discussed with the Hurricanes you've got Jake Weatherold made 57 Travis Head made 85 not out where do you slide Alex Carey back into this lineup do you put him opening with Jake Weatherold who's in great form based on what he did last game bump John O'Dean down below Travis Head into the four so you then have an order of Carey Weatherold Head and then John O'Dean, or how do you kind of do this? Or do you say, you know what, John O'Dean, you made 19 off eight, you had a fantastic strike rate, you didn't go on with it, but maybe you leave him out there thinking if he can just get us through the power play, maybe then we can bring in some bigger hitters throughout the middle overs if we need to. Potentially. And uh, look, I don't like to kick a man when he's down, but <laughs> Jake Jake Lehman, he has not had a great BBI 7 with the bat. And after he dropped those two catches last night, um, I'm just going to check out his batting stats because I don't think his batting stats have been that great uh, this season either. Um, he's gone on... I, I know in previous seasons he has won a few games for him with the bat. Uh, but, okay, so here we go. Here are his, uh, here are his stats. He's uh, played 11 games. He's only scored 93 runs. His highest score is 23. He has a batting average of 11.6. Yeah, I, and I, I a strike with, rate of just over 100. I agree with what you're saying, but you've also got to remember that, for instance, last night he was coming in at six. So there's a very good chance that with Carey in this lineup, he's coming in at number seven. The strikers have been amazing all season in what they've been able to do with the bat. I think they're, I think technically they're officially the second highest scoring team now based on what the Hurricanes did the other night. But they haven't really needed a, a whole lot of out of Jake Lehman at that order as well. He's not the type of guy, he's not like a Dwayne Bravo. He's not going to come in and start slogging uh, for the hills. His primary job, I guess, in a lot of instances when he has been out there, hasn't been to try and save an innings and stay there and, and build a, build an innings. It's been, you know what, you're, you're there, just rotate the strike and get head. Weatherold, Ingram, anybody back here on strike. So uh, I, I agree that based on a couple of um, drop catches, as we've previously discussed, that maybe he's in a little bit of trouble. But uh, again, I, I also kind of look at it and go, um, they managed to have uh, six bowlers already. Um, okay, they can take out a, a guy like um, take out a guy like Lehman. But if Lehman's been a, a standard and sort of a, a fixture in that sort of back to middle order there. What what do you end up doing? Because his averages aren't great, but he's been there the whole time. You don't want to be meddling with your order too much, do you? No. So, I mean, like, I think the guys that are going to be on the out, it's either going to be Lehman, Wells, or Dean. Now, out of those three guys, Lehman and Wells have both played 11 games, so they've been, the, whereas Dean, he's just played the sixth. So, look, if you wanted a safe bet, I'd probably say Dean's coming out of that lineup, but. 
if the strikers decide to go, look, we're going to need some hitting uh, further down the order, maybe Dean could slot in for either Wells or Lehman. Yeah, I'd be shocked if John O'Dean was the one to, to miss out on this. 19 off 8, I know he wasn't out there for very long, but even a guy like that, as you said, okay, maybe you throw Kerry up at the top order, you, you move John O'Dean down to a 5 or 6, just in case you do need someone who's proven that, you know what, I can whack 20 off 8. That could become very, very handy in the final couple of overs here, so I'd be shocked if Dean, uh, Dean was dropped. Now, one guy that does not get a lot of publicity, uh, obviously, by one of the Adelaide Strikers bowlers, and that's Peter Siddle, former Australian bowler. Um, obviously, we've seen with um, uh, Rashid Khan, he's got uh, 17 wickets, one of the leading, leading wicket taker in BBL 07. But I just want to point out that uh, Peter Siddle, he has one of the lowest economy rates for bowlers in BBL 07. Uh, he's played 10 games. He has an economy rate of 6.15 with the best bowling figures of 2 for 6. Uh, look, I think for a guy that you, you would consider a veteran presence, uh, he's a really stable and steady bowler for the strikers to be able to turn to, and they're going to need guys like him in big pressure situations tomorrow. It's interesting you bring that up, Bernie. He actually went for 11 and over in, in just his two overs uh, against the Renegades. So uh, I agree, and likely he won't go for 11 again, especially if his uh, economy rate on average for the season has been so much lower than that. But um, it, this, this veteran kind of leadership, I guess, is really important, isn't it? Um, we've seen, I mean, you look at what they did um, for the, I should say, the, the Renegades, Cameron White, again, that veteran leadership, maybe it's not standing up as much as they would have liked. And I you know it's easier to turn around and say, if he just belts one more boundary before he gets out, you know, it's a win. But uh, yeah, that, that experience is really going to come to the fore here. And Rob, let's shift our attention to the markets for tomorrow night's game. And obviously those players that are coming back in to the sides, I think they've had a huge impact on the markets. And I mean, there's not much splitting these two on the betting front. We've got the Adelaide Strikers. They come into this game as the favourites, obviously playing at home uh, at $1.85. The Hobart Hurricanes, after that very impressive semi-final at $1.95. I mean, that's pretty close. You can't really split these two. No, well, uh, I managed to, just keep in mind, Bernie, I managed to pick the strikers last night. I managed to split them from the thinnest of margins, and I managed to pick up a cool 19 bucks, so I'm pretty happy with that. But uh, there, there really is nothing in this, and, and I joke, of course, that the, that could have gone either way, and, and it's proven it came down to the last delivery. So um, it, it, this one could go either way as well. I, I've done a bit of digging, though, and the strikers have not lost at the Adelaide Oval so far this season so just based on that purely and simply i'm going to go uh, the strikers get up they've also uh still got i believe the best net run rate uh of all of the teams i'll just double check that quickly i don't think that would have changed no so they've still got a, a much better net run rate it's at 0.80 uh, compared to the hobart hurricanes whose net run rate is actually negative 0.29 so uh, looking at it from a consistency point of view the strikers have been the more consistent team all season they're at home which is an advantage in and of itself you then take into account the fact that they haven't actually lost a game so far this year at home and i'm going to be backing in the strikers in this one bernie at a dollar 90 uh, to take home the chocolates well, Rob, I'm going to have to uh, disagree with you. I'm going to take the Hobart <laughs> Hurricanes in this one. The Obviously, the team of the Summer Smash podcast, uh, they their Twitter 
uh, their Twitter account, followed both of us during the season. And uh, as you know, I've been cheering them on during the final series. But look, what I would have to say, obviously that stat with the strikers not being beaten at home. Uh, we saw the Hobart Hurricanes head over to Perth, probably the toughest road trip uh, on the BBL calendar, uh, step into a new arena. They didn't play like they were intimidated. They didn't take a back step there against, as you mentioned, one of the best bowling attacks in the world. I think that batting at a lineup has been strengthened. Uh, interesting to note for this one, the Hobart Hurricanes are actually favourites to hit more sixes than the Adelaide Strikers. Um, so I think, yeah, the punters have certainly realised that there's plenty of firepower in that Hobart Hurricanes uh, Hobart Hurricanes lineup. And I think for the amount that we talk about how strong the batters and how strong the bowlers are, I think there's going to be one or two crucial moments that's going to come down. It's going to be one catch. It's going to be one run out. It's going to be one LBW. Uh, and I think that's what's going to split the teams. But I'm going to take the Hobart Hurricanes at $1.95 in this one. There we go. So a little bit of a disagreement, a little bit of rivalry on the line here for us, Bernie, in the final match of the BBL season. Um, what, what a season it's been as well. It is worth sort of taking stock and looking back before we go forward here because I know that it, the Hobart Hurricanes actually start their Shield season on Thursday, which is oh, not the Hobart Hurricanes, the Ta- Tasmanian team, I should say, um, start their Sheffield Shield season before the week is actually up. So it's a very quick transition out of the big bash, but um, we've had so many great games and, and so many great moments as well and uh, whether it was run chases, catches, wickets, that of course the, the catch where the ball was thrown 30 or 40 metres back into play I think that one will be uh, just played on a loop from here on out and I'm sure we'll see that in all the marketing and uh, all the advertising coming into next season as well. But it, it has been a fantastic season. We've had plenty to talk about from captain suspensions to expanding the schedule. How do we do all these things? Uh, we might not have the answers right now, but it's definitely been a fantastic one to have a chat with. Yeah, look, there's certainly been plenty to talk about as we've gone through BBL 07. And uh, look, we'd love to hear from our Summer Smash podcast listeners. Uh, you can use the hashtag on Twitter, Summer Smash Podcast. Uh, you can find me at Bernie08Mac and Rob at Robert double underscore Beaver. Uh, we're always up for a bit of banter. And uh, look, it's going to be one hell of a final tomorrow night. Looking forward to it, Bernie, and uh, looking forward to everyone getting involved as well, whether you're on Twitter, at the game, uh, or just sitting on the couch and, and kicking back as well. So should be a fantastic game. I've got the Strikers. You've got the Hurricanes, or otherwise known as the team of the Summer Smash. We'll wait and see, <laughs> Bernie. The next uh, podcast could be very interesting. That's right, fans. We'll certainly talk to you after tomorrow night's final. Um, all the best for your team and whoever you're cheering for. We've certainly had a ball recording this podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll chat to you guys shortly. The Summer Smash Podcast with Bernie Mac and the Beaver.